Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. A new series. You can find yourself in Genesis chapter 1. It's not hard to find. You might have some information ahead of it, but it's the first page of the Holy Scriptures, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be here through the month of November, uh, simply in prayer and in uh, conversation. It seems that teaching on the family is always necessary, um, but as we grow as a church and as children are born and as children grow among us, we must understand our responsibility as Christians to God's design for family. We must know God's design for family and Though it may sound militant, we must be prepared to wage war against the culture with the truth of God's word regarding the family. Family Matters is a series looking to bring biblical definition and clarity to the family, its members, and their roles. It's a series that is intended to equip you, the listener, to stand as God's people in our day against the spiritual battle that is raging against the family. We must not think that this is new. We must not think that God has not been teaching his people about the family for centuries, as we will examine in just a few moments. Family has been under attack since it first existed. This is not new. It's just escalating And as man further disintegrates because of sin, that's what sin does. What is sin? The rejection of God, the ignorance of him in the world, the absence of reverence or worshiping him as God, the disobedience of what he has said, and what does it do? It brings about the death of man and the disintegration of all creation. That's what sin does. And so as we see the family attacked and we could say disintegrating in our day, I mean, just watch the news. It takes no time at all to understand how bad the family is falling apart. We must be prepared to talk about that. I also hope that through this series, we will be building up and encouraging every person in this room that regularly gathers, every member of the church, every visitor. I pray that this will be a series that encourages us to understand our roles as husbands, as fathers, as wives, as mothers, as children. Now, you'll know this. I said husband, father, wife, mother, and child. That brings everybody in the room into the teaching of God's word. So whether you are single, married, with children, without children, grandparents or not, you fit into the series of the family from God's word. You must understand that. I want no person listening, thinking, oh, this isn't about me, this isn't for me, this is for somebody else. No, you fit into every role. You are a son or a daughter of someone. You may be a husband, a father. You may be a wife, a mother. Every one of us fits into the discussion of God's word as relates to the family. In our day, every major hot-button issue is addressed by teaching biblically about the family. You cannot know the, cons- the constraint and control that I had to exercise in preparing this sermon. Every single issue of our day is touched when we look at God's design for the family. 
from gender to gender roles to sexuality to the sanctity of life to social status, economic status, political status, you name it, it's all touched, it's all affected when we look at God's design for the family, every single aspect of it. Let us also understand nobody in the room has it figured out. I don't care how good of a dad or mom or husband or wife or child you think you are. I mean, my kids obviously think I'm the best dad in the world. My wife knows I'm the best husband in the world. And all of you get to observe it. How untrue. None of us have it all figured out. I don't care if you came in this morning thinking, man, our home has pretty well got it put together. No, you don't. We're all broken and touched by the fall. The depravity of mankind has known no bounds, and we are all affected by it. Nobody has it all figured out. No one is an expert on family matters, including the man speaking to you right now, Lord willing, over the next several weeks, about the family. I'm simply opening God's word and giving you what God says about the family while I try and figure it out and do it as well. No one has it all figured out. There is no greatest spouse in the room. There is no best child, and there is no perfect parent. We are broken. We need help. I do, however, want to encourage you. What you do not need is the next best-selling book. You do not need a marriage conference or a retreat. You do not need a weekly podcast or blog. You need the truth of God's word, and you need to put it into action. That is what's necessary. All those other things are helpful at various times. Please partake in reading good books. Please go to conferences and retreats that refresh you. Please get a daily dose of God's word about the family and your role within it outside of this teaching. Those are helpful things. What we all need as God's people is God's word on the family. As we open this series, I do want to say, as I go this morning, you're going to say, Pastor, I think you've lost me. This doesn't sound like a family teaching. Well, it is, but in order to teach on the family, there's got to be some stage setting. We've got to understand where the family came from and how it finds itself in the disaster that it is today, because all around us, and perhaps even, well, not even perhaps even, all around us and in this room are disasters of families. When, we, when I say in this room, I just put it in our laps so that we don't think as a church, well, I'm glad we all have it figured out. We don't. Nobody has it figured out. We as a church don't have it figured out. Church down the street doesn't have it figured out. Church in the next town doesn't have it figured out. We must return to God's word. We must examine what it says, and we must do it. However, I do recognize that in teaching on the family today, it's not going to seem or sound very much like a family teaching. So follow me as we go, and we'll get through it. Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to read segments of Scripture now, it's on the page, on the screen, it just says 126 through 28. Yeah, that's a good anchor. I'm going to read various segments of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. I'll call them out as I'm going so that you can follow along, but they will not be on the screen. Our text today is a little longer than normal, so if you would, follow along. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 23. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. 
And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord, had, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband." But he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us knowing in, in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the, gr the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for giving us this account, and I pray that we will pay strict attention to what you inspired Moses to write about your creation of the world and of us and of the family. Father, some of these words fall heavy, and I pray for all those who are hearing that you would give us wisdom for me. Father, speak to me as you speak through me. I pray, God, that not only here but in a great many places where your word is opened and taught today, I pray, Father, that you would humble the sinner to repentance and salvation. God, I pray that the preaching and teaching of your word today would promote the holiness of your people. Help us, Father, to be holy as you are holy. And I pray that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. There's a lot of scripture 
It's never a bad thing to read large portions of Scripture. In fact, I recommend it and encourage it. In this opening message, my goal is simple, to make very clear for us that the family is a God-ordained and God-defined institution. The family is God-ordained and God-defined. Our culture is trying to deconstruct a great many number of things. They would deconstruct the family. They don't have that authority. When people talk about destroying what has come to be called traditional family values, we as Christians should call them biblical, godly values, When the world speaks of destroying traditional family values, they are spitting venom from the pit of hell. And you as Christians should recognize it every time you hear it. Now, please, I'm angry about it right now. Don't be angry when you talk with people about it. We must do it in love, but we must understand the severity of it. Perhaps nothing is being sought after to destroy it as the family. The definition and structure of the family is not up to our culture or our day. It is God-ordained. It is God-defined. The enemy of God and of God's people, the Bible tells us, Jesus himself, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he would do nothing more than steal and kill and destroy what God has designed for the family. God's design. Would you look your attention to Genesis chapter 1 verse 23? And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So that is the end of the fifth day and the beginning of the sixth day. And so even as we talk about the family, we have to anchor ourselves in the reality that God created all things in six days. The culture doesn't like that. Somebody in the room may not even like that, but you have to take that up with God. In six days, God created. And on the sixth day, God created, you see, not only man, all the beasts of the field, creeping things, all those things, according to their kinds. See it, verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth, fascinating, and God said, let the earth bring forth. If you trail through Genesis from, from verse 1, Genesis 1 verse 1 through to verse 26, you will find, and God said, and God said, and God said over and over because God created all things by the word of his mouth. And I'm going to get to more on that in just a moment. But in six days, God said, let there be, and there was. Until he got to man. Then God said, verse 26, Let us make man. And God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, and there was, and there was, and there was. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let us make man. Man, there's a phrase if you're a note taker or if you're a writer on the pages of scripture, I love to underline and make notes. There is a phrase that you should underline and you should commit to memory and to heart and you should not waver from what it says in our image and according to our likeness. In 
our image and according to our likeness. I have often said and I've heard said that mankind is the crowning achievement of God's creation. Pastor, that's a bold statement. I don't think it's that bold. God did not come to save the birds of the air or the fish of the sea or the beast of the field. He came to save man. God did not form, as we'll see, man from the dust of the earth. He did not form beasts and animals from the dust. He spoke them. Let the earth bring forth. Let the earth produce. Let the waters be filled with. But then God said, let us make man. As we'll see, God formed him. God did not make trees and shrubs, birds and fish and various animals in his image and according to his likeness. That is the phrase that sets humanity apart in God's creation. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. This is the verse that distinguishes mankind from every other piece of creation on the face of planet Earth, in the skies above, in the galaxy around. Nothing else was made in the image and according to the likeness of our God. Now, there are male and female of other life forms. None of them are made like man. Made in the image of and likeness of our God. What does this mean? I wanted to talk about it briefly because I think it's very important for us to understand in the image and according to the likeness, what does this mean? There's a great element of mystery involved here because we have to take our minds transported only by the scripture, which only goes so far for us, to a pre-temporal location. Pre-temporal. I mean outside of time and before, the, before all of this, we have to go to God the economy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the creation of all things, the creation of time and space and earth and life, we have to go to the point where God says, let us make man in our image. This is us understanding our existence by considering eternity past. So we can only get so far. What does it mean when God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness? I'm going to say this twice. I sifted through scripture and just, I'm like, okay, what does this mean? How can we work to understand this? God at creation and eternity past to eternity future, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Son or the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son. And the Son is not the Father or the Spirit. One God, three persons, each distinct and each equal, all God. And at creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all operating. You'll note Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Where do you even see the Trinity in Scripture? Trinity is not a biblical word. I don't see it. You say it. It's not in there. You're making things up. And Genesis 1, 1, right in the very first page of the Scripture. If somebody's like, I don't, Trinity, I don't think so. I'm not in on all that Trinity subject. Well, then how do you get past the start of the Bible? 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and dark and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. This is eternal Father, eternal Son, eternal Holy Spirit. What happened? The Father spoke by the Son, who is the Word, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created through him, and nothing that has been created was made without him. God the Father spoke by the word of the Son and the Spirit hovering over the face of the water made everything that God did happen. I'm falling out of my chair at my desk as I study and read this this past week. I'm like, you only get so far with the Trinity before you just stop. What does it mean when the Bible says, in our image and according to our likeness? It means that when God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, The eternal Father formed man by the life-giving power of the eternal Holy Spirit while looking at the likeness of the eternal Son who is the image of the invisible Father. That's as far as I can get. Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. It means that the eternal father made man by the life-giving power of the spirit while looking at the likeness of the eternal son that was reflecting the image of the invisible father. Father, son, Holy Spirit, all equally God, all equally working in creation to make it all happen, all eternally existing, good grief. If your mind isn't blown by that, you should probably be teaching because I just sat and stared off into space for a while. Like, how do we wrap our heads around that? God always has been. We don't understand those words. Nothing always has been. Everything comes from somewhere. Not God. Always has been. Forever will be. Always. Eternally existing of his own power, by his own power, for his own glory. And in the great economy of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord God formed the man by the power of the Spirit, looking at the likeness and image of the eternal Son, reflecting the image of the invisible Father, and there is man. Let us make man in our image. Some people will work at this point to try and discredit Scripture. Genesis 1 talks about creation, then Genesis 2 talks about creation. The stories don't even match up. What in the world? I don't ever want you to be caught off guard with these things. Genesis 1 is the zooming out of what God did in six days and resting on the seventh. And Genesis 2 is zooming in on what God did on the sixth day and giving us that specific account of what God did in creating mankind. How did God create them? Look down at Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. Seven. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This is how God made man. Genesis 1.27, God created created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's what God did. And the closer micro look at how God created them is out of the dust of the earth, God formed. You think about that? Scripture bears this out too. David writes about being knit in his mother's womb. Like, I don't know, maybe you have 
a grandmother that you've watched, maybe you yourself are someone who crochets or knits, and I always forget one's got hooks and one's got needles, and they work differently, but whatever. And they, they'd sit with yarn, and they'd do the thing, and clackety-clickety, clackety-clickety, and all of a sudden, hey, here's a hat, here's a scarf, here's a sweater, here's a blanket, whatever. Right? Why do, why do mothers and grandmothers do that? They love someone. They take time to make precisely what they want with their hands to give. And David says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That illustration, how beautiful. That's what God does. God makes life. The first life God formed from the dust of the ground and breathed into, again, don't miss it. If you're looking for references to the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, you're like, the Holy Spirit didn't show up until after Jesus was resurrected. The Holy Spirit showed up in a different way after Jesus was resurrected, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all eternally existing, and they existed all across the pages of the Old Testament. Formed from the dust of the ground and breathed, Jesus says, the Spirit gives life to temporal and to eternal Formed from the dust, breath of life, the man became a living creature. Male and female, he created them. We'll talk about the woman being created in just a moment. Male and female, he created them. Humankind, if I may for just a moment, beat up on the culture a little bit because they're wrong. Humans have always been made by God from conception to death, male or female. And it is not up to the culture to tell man that they can figure out what God has made. I have a new nephew. That's pretty awesome. There's a new baby in our church. Praise God, there will be more. And God made my new nephew a male. And no one has to figure that out as he grows. And no one gets to tell him just think of what you want to be and you can be it. He's a boy who will grow and become a man, Lord willing. God did that. With every little girl, with every little boy, with every grown adult, there's no questioning. Well, but pastor, then why is society saying we can question? Did you pay attention to all the scripture we read? Something happened. Of course, the culture is trying to say that we can change what God has done because the culture is separated from and in sin before a holy God. Don't be surprised when little boys say, I think I'm a girl. Don't be surprised when little girls say, I think I'm a boy. Don't be surprised when grown boys or grown girls say, I think I'm the other. That is the effect of what happens in Genesis chapter 3. But God made them male and female. Why would culture fight that? Why would humanity fight that? Because we're separated from a holy God and reject, ignoring or rejecting God in this world. God created them male and female. Man does not get to determine what God creates. There is no space for let them figure it out. Furthermore, as a last point on this, man does not get the right to alter that either, though they are. And of all the absurd things that the world has done, they're now trying to figure out how to reverse things they've reversed. 
sexes are trying to become the opposite sex and then become the opposite sex of what they tried to become. Humanity is a bunch of raging lunatics because they are separate from a holy God. God created the male and female. And why did God create mankind? Oh, we have a purpose. We have a purpose. And it's so outside of ourselves. Blessed by a brother who recently made the statement to me, we don't have children for ourselves. You're doggone right we don't. We have them, as God allows, to fill the earth with the image and glory of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. With what? With my image. You have been made in my image. You are made according to my likeness. Go and fill the earth with my image, with my glory. Later in scripture it would say, let the glory, let your, let, let your glory, Lord, I'm paraphrasing, I can't even pull the reference. Let your, may your glory, Lord, fill the earth as the water covers the sea. In the perfection of creation, in the perfection before the fall of man, the goal of God creating man and God creating woman was that man and woman would come together as one flesh and create more flesh in their union. That's the purpose. Sometimes people are like, we want to get married. And I like to ask people when they want to get married, why do you want to get married? I'm always interested. Why do you want to get married? I found my soulmate. I'm just so in love. They complete me. Like all these reasons. And those aren't bad reasons. I'm always listening for the reason. And do you know how many people ever tell me? I'll say this. In 2013, I guess, 2012, 11 years. In 11 and a half years or something, whatever, I've never had a couple tell me they're getting married so they can have children. I've never had a couple sit in front of me and say, we are marrying one another because we are in love and we want to create more humans if God will let us. Why if God will let us? Because we don't know if it'll happen. Sin has broken everything, including the ability of humans to create more life. God gives life. We have no control over it. He gives it. He takes it. That's hard for us to deal with and to understand in this life, but that's truth. Why should people get married? They should get married because they love one another and fear God and want to create more image bearers for God's glory in the earth. Nobody ever says it. <laughs> you know why? Because we're so separated from a holy God and his purpose in creating humans. Why did God create mankind? He created mankind to fill the earth. Genesis one twenty eight. look at, not just fill the earth, look at. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply means have as many children as you can possibly have. One, two, seven, 20, 30, whatever. Have babies. Have baby after baby after baby and fill the earth. You, like we laugh. This is so ridiculous to us. Like even as I say it, I'm like, this is really strange to say. That's what God said. Be fruitful. What is something that's fruitful? It's fallish. We snowed last week. It's fallish. Apple trees are fruitful. You know what apple trees do? Every single year, they produce apples. Until what? They die. An apple tree is born, it grows, and they produce apples every single year until they're dead. 
And all the women are like, oh, Lord, help us. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's what God created humans to do. Wrestle it down. Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Look at the orders that God gives to man. Everybody's like, I wish I could have lived in in the garden before the fall of man. We just been, we could have just laid around and been like, this is so awesome. It's perfect. No, I'm coming to that point in just a second. God didn't create man and say, just, just be a vegetable state here in the Garden of Eden. You can go ahead and be a lazy hack the rest of your day. Because man, isn't paradise awesome? Look at before the fall of man, be fruitful and multiply. They had work to do and fill the earth, so they got to explore and subdue it. Subdue it, which means do what you want with it. Move it, construct on it, build on it, do what you want. I've given it to you. Be delighted in my creation. I'm delighting in you so that you can delight in that and delight in me while you do it. How beautiful. And, and have dominion over creation. This is why God created mankind. Genesis chapter 2. God not only creates us, man, and not only put them in this perfection, he gave them work to do. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. I can't stop at work. I want to, but I can't. Men, sorry. Women, it's a weird day. Everybody works. Young children, I suppose. Work's a good thing. Work is good. Sweating, smashing your finger with a hammer, grease under your fingernails, achy backs, a lot of people in the room that work with big animals getting stepped on by a cow. You name it. So many guys in the room are like, Pastor, just preach as long as you want so I don't have to think about going to work tomorrow. No, 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 no. While you're sitting here right now in church for the specific purpose of worshiping God, think about going to work tomorrow. Why? It's a good thing. And it was intended before the fall of man. I joke often about things that didn't exist before the fall, like mosquitoes. Work existed before the fall of man. God made man. God put him in the garden and said, work. Work is good. Tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off and you want to begrudge the alarm going off and go to the job that you wish you didn't have to do, remember that God said you're going to work. God made man, and God made man responsible to work and to, look at this, verse 15, Genesis 2, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to keep it and work it. And the Lord God commanded the man. Look at that. Work and commandment right there with one another. How awesome. What did he command him? Uh, uh, Adam, in all the work that you're going to do, tending to the earth, subduing it, multiplying and being fruitful and eating of everything that I've created, don't eat from the tree that is in the midst of the garden. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And there is, there is the great promise of God for the disobedience of man. I've been saying lately, some of the men have heard me say it in various conversations and small groups and whatever, just in conversation talking, if we were to pay more strict attention to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, so much more of the Bible in our day would make so much more sense. It's all here. I, I don't, you pick a topic, I can preach on it from Genesis 1, chapter 2 and 3. When God said, don't do that, or you will die, God made man responsible to obey God. Now this is interesting. In the Garden of Eden, God created 
everything, and look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and God made man able to sin and able to not sin, something we cannot comprehend. We don't get it. In our day, we can't not but sin. We're sinful. The best work that we do at not sinning, we sometimes, we just can't help it. Sure, we overcome various things. We do better at certain things, but we're all affected by sin. Adam had a responsibility. He's unlike any other man that ever lived. Adam and Eve were unlike any other human that ever lived on the face of planet Earth. Why? Because God said to them, eat of everything you want in the garden, but don't eat of that tree, for in the day that you do, you shall die. And God's design would begin to disintegrate in that moment. First, God makes man responsible to work and obey God. More in a minute. Ladies, you are also responsible for work. And we've all already talked about the work that women are responsible for. And I know that this is challenging in our day and in our culture. We've been fighting for women's rights for a very long time. In our own country, we've been fighting for suffrage and equality and pay and equality in the workplace and equality everywhere. The fascinating thing for me is that that seems to be pervading the American church in a rate that I simply can't understand. Because there is no such thing as equality in the world. You have to step into God's design to find equality. There's no such thing as equality in the workplace. There's no such thing as equality for pay, equality for education. Listen, we're fighting for men and women to have equal pay. Men and men don't have that. Women and women don't have that. Young people and old people don't have that. The world is a bunch of raging lunatics. Don't be distracted by what they're saying. Now, if you want equality, I implore you to submit to God's design. God's design is where we begin to find equality. Man could not do what God wanted him to do without giving him woman. And then in another great passage where, this is, see, look, God made man, he didn't make woman. Look, then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, why didn't you make woman when you made the man, God? Why is God so strange in how he does things? Maybe we should just pay attention to what the Bible says. God created everything, and Adam was naming it all, and God in all of his wisdom caused Adam to fall asleep, took a rib from the man, made the woman, and I want you to pay very careful attention. Look what it says. Verse 20. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. He's roaming the garden, naming the animals, and can you imagine as he sees male and female, cows, sheep, deer, birds, fish, all these things, even as he considers plants that have seeds that grow, die, and reproduce, man's looking around and he's saying, I can't do this. Can you imagine Adam? Just think about Adam for a moment. What does God, what does God do? Makes Adam fall asleep. Caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. Pay attention. Everywhere in the Bible where you read caused a deep sleep, pay attention to those words. God is doing extremely big and awesome things. Here, in the covenant with Abraham, made him fall into a sleep. Peter on the roof, before he goes to the house of Cornelius, he's, he's in a trance-like vision, just dazing because God is overwhelming him with the power of his spirit. It's awesome. Throughout scripture, makes the man fall asleep, takes a rib from him, fashions the woman, and when Adam opened up, there was Eve, and everything was solved. It's not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says. Caused him to fall into a deep sleep. 
And the rib, verse 22, that the Lord God had taken from the man, look at what it says, one, he made into a woman. Man and woman, both made by God. Not spoken into existence, made. He made into a woman, look, and brought her to the man. I love this. If you want to take notes, this is where this is where the family begins, right here. Not when a child is born, when husband and wife are united. The whole scene of this picture is so beautiful to me. And do you understand? Maybe you've never considered it, but I've thought about it a lot, and I normally talk about it in this moment as well. What we just heard was exactly how every single wedding happens. I've been privileged to do a wedding in this place for people that are in this room. And there's a man up here, and he's nervous, and his hands are sweaty, and he's like, I'll be okay, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden, he thinks he's going to throw up on his shoes. And the woman is out there like, I hope I'm dressed right, I'm my makeup and my hair. And, and the mom's like, they forgot to light that candle. That one, it's not lit. And the dad's like, when do we eat, right? Over and over, a thousand times in ten years. Need help planning a wedding? I can help you with that, it's easy. What happens? Music's playing, it hushes, and we stand here. And I know what's going on in this guy because I've been there. I remember it. One of the most magnificent moments in the face of planet Earth for a man when that bride appears. Think about it, men. I want you, to, I'm forcing you men to think about that moment your bride appeared. And then this long, we're never going to make it. We're never going to get there. And I'm just thinking, the dad's going to forget, the son's going to forget, everybody's going to forget. It's a good thing I'm not going to. I got it written down. Who gives this woman? Who gives this woman to be married to this man? You know what the world can't say? Those words. They can, but it's a wreck. I'm not even convinced that marriages in the world are real, but that's a totally different topic. We'll talk about it a different day. Who gives this woman to be married to this man. And the typical response, typical response, most of the time, her mother and I. And in normally a very emotionally overwhelmed moment where everybody's going to fall apart, and I'm just like, just hold it together, you'll be fine, it's okay. The groom will step down, the father will take the hand and give it to the groom, and the bride, or give the, take the hand of the bride, give it to the groom, and the bride and the groom will turn, and the bride will walk away from her father with her husband, they will come up here, and when they walk away, she will no longer be that man's daughter, this man's wife now. I'm setting the stage for future teachings in the family series. I have four daughters. One day, I will release my control of them. Think about that, dads of daughters. That's what happened right here. In this passage, that's precisely what happened. God brought the woman to the man. God unites them. And the man, remember that joy? Husbands, I said, remember that joy when you saw? I, like, I tell almost every groom. I do it to almost every groom. I'm looking through the room, and there's a couple of them in here, and I'm like, just watch the door. Just, just look at the door. And don't look at anything else. Because you will never forget, and you will always want to remember the moment you saw your bride. And I step back and wait to see if he throws up on his shoes. And he never has. And then the bride appears. 
This is, a, this is a much larger illustration that I can't go into. Throughout God's word, Christ is the husband. Christ is the head. And there is a bride. And the joy that our Savior will be filled with the moment his bride appears, spotless, without blemish. Future weeks, stick around for it, please. In that moment, God institutes marriage. The man is excited, he's exuberant, he's elated, he's ecstatic. He exclaims with joy, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then we use it in marriage ceremonies. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is the holy ordinance of marriage right there. What are your marriage ceremonies? Because God did a marriage ceremony. That's why we do them. God did marriage ceremony. He instituted the marriage ceremony. There is the beginning of the family. Listen, you may be here today, and you may be saying, I don't have any children. I'm not even married. It's okay. You're part of a family somewhere. If you're married and you don't have children, or you have not been able to have children, or God has taken children from you, oh, the pain that sin has caused us in the world. You're still a family. And then Satan, in all of his trickery, deceives Eve with the truth. This beautiful moment is shattered. I mean, it's, it's no different from an actual wedding ceremony where there's a beautiful moment and as soon as they get out the door, somebody's like, what about this? What about that? And where's this? And is the food on time? And the beautiful moment is gone that quick. And I'm like doing everything I can as a pastor to be like, would you just leave the bride and the groom alone so they can enjoy this minute for five of them without, well, oh, we have a problem at the reception hall. They don't care. Shh. Ruined. In a moment. Satan comes in, does what Satan does, pay attention. Satan distorts God's words. That's what Satan does. Satan distorts God's words. Did God truly say you would die? Well, God said that we can't touch it, for in the day that we touch it, the fruit will die. You won't die, you'll be like God. Guess what he did? He caused her to question God's word and then told her what God had said. Why did God say they couldn't eat the fruit? Look at the end of Genesis chapter 3. Man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. What happened? What Satan said would happen. What else happened? God brought death like he said he would. We don't pay attention enough to what happens in Genesis. The serpent approaches Eve, distracts her with what she's already desiring. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 8. When the woman saw, careful little eyes, what you see, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was able to be desired to make one wise. She took of it, ate it, and gave it to her husband. Notice that it says, and gave it to her husband who was with her. Husbands, men specifically, because it's what the text says. I don't care how present you are. Are you absent? Adam's right there. He's right there. He's right there with her. She took it, ate it, gave it to her husband, and who was with her, and he ate it. I don't care how present you are. You can be with your wife and be entirely absent from your wife. Husbands, are you actually present? Are you present and aware? This is the great failure of Adam. Adam should have silenced the serpent with the word of God. 
Adam should have said, Eve, come here. You go, God has said. Like I'm equipping you husbands with the most basic work ever as a husband. No, 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 honey, no, 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 I got this. Shut up, go, God has said. I say it that way so that we understand the severity of not doing that. Adam vacated his position and Eve ate the fruit and what happens? What do you got there, Eve? Oh, I picked this. Here, have this. Oh, great. He's just absent. He's not even paying attention to what's going on, what she's taken, what she's done, and we're all a wreck today because of it. Everybody's like, oh, this woman, this woman, it's the woman's fault. No, 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 it's man's fault. He's utterly absent, and he's right there with her. It's interesting in our day, as the family is under attack in our day, as it has never been before, in what seems like an unprecedented way, I have a few interesting statistics. A 2022 Pew Research Center report said that in 2021, 47% of U.S. adults say that a single woman raising children on their own is generally a bad thing for society. No kidding. God said it should be a different way. Again, another, re- another report said, in 2021, 47% of adults say that a single woman raising children is generally bad. In 2020, 41% of all births were to unmarried women. So society says it's not good for single women to do this, but it's happening at a rate of almost half the pregnancies that happen in the world, in our country. Again, another Pew Research says that women make up more than a quarter, 28% of all the members of the current 118th Congress. This is the highest percentage in U.S. history, which, the report noted, is a considerable increase over the last 10 years. And just for fun, because we got to have fun. In 2021, an article from Christian Science Monitor stated that at least 30 women were working as full-time coaches in the Major League Baseball Association, the National Basketball Association, and the National Football League organizations. I'm not saying these to speak negatively about women. Not at all. I'm giving all these statistics to ask why. Where are the men? Where are the men at? You know where they are? They're following in the footsteps of their father, Adam. They're utterly present and wholly absent. Men of the church, you better be paying very careful attention because I'm going to dog myself and you to make sure that you are present and not absent while you're there. They're following in all they've known. Adam vacates his position. I have no idea how long I preached this morning. I don't even care. This is so important. It's all we have to do today. I saw something yesterday that said because of the time change, I get a whole additional hour. So praise the Lord, get out the snacks. This is so fundamental to our faith. I couldn't constrain it. It's so important. Adam vacates his post and then he eats the fruit and sin comes into the world. And do you know what happens? Everything starts to spiral out of control immediately. Look at, look at what happens. I just made notes. You can read it. We read it right in the text. Here comes God. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. And they disobeyed his voice. And they didn't do what God said to do. And what happened? Adam, where are you? Where are you? I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I told you we were naked. You didn't know you were naked. Who told you? Did you eat the fruit? Did you eat the fruit of which I told you not to? 
and immediately, suddenly. It's not just once we get into Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. All of us want to wait till we get to Genesis chapter 4. We can't do that. It starts immediately. The family starts to disintegrate immediately. They begin blame shifting. It was the woman. It was the serpent. No, it was you. You disobeyed what I told you to do. Everybody wants to blame somebody else. Listen, when you sin, you're at fault. Your sin is your choice. And when you sin, you're at fault. You will stand before God and you will give an account for your sin. No one will say, Cain and Abel were not able to say, well, if our dad had been around a little more, maybe I wouldn't have killed my brother. Why? Because God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door for you, Cain. Do well. Nah, kills his brother. Disobeys God. It starts to spiral out of control. And suddenly, death came to humankind. Adam and Eve, able to not sin and able to sin, chose to sin, breaking us for the rest of time. We're broken. We just can't help ourselves. And in their sin, God did precisely what he said he would do. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. And God brought death. And he brought it to every member of Adam's race, to all of their posterity, to all generations of man on the earth, indeed to the very earth itself. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In the aftermath of Adam's sin, humankind spirals out of control. Their first two sons, Cain and Abel, one becomes a murderer. Ten generations is what happens in Genesis chapter 5. From ten generations, Adam, ten generations later to the birth of Noah, God looks on the utter wickedness of man and that the thought of man's heart is only evil continually. Ten generations from the man who was in the Garden of Eden. And we wonder... Why is the world such a mess? What's wrong with the world? Throughout the Old Testament, man is continually back and forth, faithful and unfaithful, doing what is right in their own eyes, doing what is evil in the Lord's eyes, and maybe that's your family story. As we begin talking about the family, we have to understand where we all came from. The reality is that the best families have this same story in their past. We are, every single one of us, descended from such a long line of idolaters, adulterers, drunkards, abusers, liars, violent men, angry men, all of us. Why? Because we all came from that man. And when he sinned, it came to us. We are all broken. We need help. There is no hope. When you are without God in the world, you are without hope, without God, but there is hope for humankind. Even as we come to consider the Lord's Supper this morning, there is a way for every family to be made whole in the midst of all this brokenness. Remember, in God's image and according to his likeness, we were made better. We were made in the image of something that was not broken. We were made in the image of the eternal song. Eternal Son. I wrote the words down so I like the words. A song that I've come to appreciate. Christ, the true and better Adam. Son of God and Son of Man. Who, when tempted in the garden, never yielded, never sinned. He who makes the many righteous brings us back to life again. Dying, he reversed the curse. And rising, crushed the serpent's head.
in all family matters, Jesus Christ must be the cornerstone. Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you made whole through faith in him? You can't fix your family. As broken as it may be, you cannot fix your family. You must turn to Christ. We must follow Christ's design as we consider the husband, the father, the wife, the mother, the child. We must look to Christ. Are you looking to Christ in this moment? Have you repented of sin? Are you considering what the word of God says that you may follow and not live in the broken pattern that Adam gave us? That's why we come to this table. That's why we observe the Lord's Supper, to remember the perfect Adam. I have asked some men to come and serve us this morning. We're going to partake in communion, and as we do, it is right for us to consider. Have you placed your faith in the one who died for you? If you're here this morning, and all that I'm talking about, trusting Christ by faith, repenting of sin, if you are not saved, then this meal, the Bible says, is not something that's for you. This is for those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can do that in this moment. God, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. Would the men who are going to serve come forward, please? The Bible calls us to examine ourselves. The bread is going to come by, the juice is going to come by, we'll observe these elements together. In this moment, Father, forgive me. I am a sinner. I believe that you sent Christ to die for me. I believe in your son, the Lord Jesus. Forgive me, save me. It is that simple. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Don't wander about in darkness. I'm going to pray and then we'll disperse these elements and we'll take communion together. Father, we come to you this morning. Thankful for all that you have done, Father, and it has been a long morning and I thank you for your word and I pray that you have spoken by the power of your spirit to every heart, to every mind, to every person in this room, Father, that we would follow you that we would follow the true and better Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that we would be corrected and made whole through the perfect, the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you for your body that was broken for us, that we can be made whole. We praise you for your work. Be honored as we worship you in this way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.